verse for this year. We like to, at the beginning of every year, pick a verse that's sort of our anchor verse. It doesn't mean that it's the only thing we'll talk about, but it is a theme throughout the year. And so Pastor Peter last week spent the whole sermon talking about what our anchor verse is. And so let's just read that together today. We're just going to read it in unison uh, to start this day off. This is our anchor verse for 2023. It's Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. That is our focus for this year. And so continuing with this idea of us being the light. I want to start this morning in the Old Testament. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and then we'll carry through to the new. And actually, we were in a meeting in December with our ministry team leads. These are the teams that, take, that run the ministry of our church, so small groups and young adults and youth and marriage and healing team. And we were talking just about what the rhema would be and thinking about goals and... and can help focus this year in this way. It was actually uh, Aaliyah Brown, her and Eric Stagg co-lead the healing team. And she, in that discussion, we were talking about being the light, she, she uh, drew the connection to the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the light, the lamp that would be lit. And I just have to say, it was so impactful to me. And so just that discussion we had, really, I've been meditating on that. So I just want to thank her for sharing that because it's really the jumping off point for today. And I'm going to start there and um, we're, going to, we're going to move into the New Testament from that. But So we're going to read... a. a few verses in Exodus, and you can also find it in Leviticus. But let me just set a little bit of background in case you aren't familiar with the Old Testament, where we are in Exodus. So Exodus, God has rescued through, through Moses, they've rescued the people, the Israelites, out of slavery from Egypt. And they go into the wilderness, and they're there for a while. And in the wilderness, God's, God makes a covenant with the people of Israel. And he says, I want to be your God and you will be my people. And so they enter into this covenant with him. And when they do that, God then says, I want my presence to come dwell among you. And this is absolutely huge and crucial because after the garden where God created us to be in perfect unity with him in his presence, we chose sin and we were we lost that connection to the presence of God. And so here we see God continuing the story and he says, I'm gonna make my covenant with you, you're gonna be my people, and so I want my presence to come dwell among you again. And so he's giving instructions for the tabernacle. This would be the tent that represents his presence, where his presence would be represented in the middle of the camp so that the people could see that God is with them. And so this is some of the instruction that goes into how they are building the tabernacle and what they are supposed to do in the, in the tabernacle. So God, through Moses, says to the Israelites, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting, outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant of the Law, Aaron, who was the priest, and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening until morning. And so the lamp that was in the tabernacle 
represented the presence of God. So yes, it was a physical thing to actually light up in the darkness so you could see, but it served as a constant reminder of the presence of God. And so there's a few things I just want to pull out of this before we go into the New Testament and continue to talk about being the light. The thing that is so interesting to me about this command is that it was a community effort. So it wasn't just instructions to the priests of how they keep the presence of God, the, the, the symbolic presence of God going, but it was also a, a, a command to the people. So both parties had to use effort to, to uh, follow this command of Jesus, so for, of God. So let's think about this. The Israelites, they were commanded to bring clear oil. So that meant they had to harvest the olives, that meant they had to press the olive, squeeze the olive, somehow get the oil out of the olive, collect it, and take it to the priest. And so I put just two pictures. There are many more other types of oil presses that were used. But here's one. You can see a big stone that would grind uh, the olive to get the oil out. Or there was this kind as well, where the olives would be in the basket. It's pressed down. You can see that the oil you know, would, would flow out, and they would collect it. And, and there are many others that you can look up. But it took effort. This wasn't a one-time thing. This wasn't like, okay, let's do this work. This was a continual harvesting of olives to press, to squeeze and press, to get the oil, to bring the oil to the priests that would feed this lamp that represented the presence of God. And so when the Israelites did their part, they took it to the priests, and it said that the priests were to monitor it, were to take care of the lamp from evening till morning. So that meant they weren't sleeping meant you, you, they had to watch it through the night. And so both parties um, were required to use great effort to, to pay attention to the presence of God, this thing that represented that God's presence was with them all the time. And so this visual of lamp and light and oil, we see this all throughout Scripture. It carries all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And Pastor Peter, you know, last week he, he's talked about our rhema verse, our anchor verse, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you didn't hear it, because I don't have time to go back and do that. But we know that Christ says he is the light, and now he's said that we are the light, and so we have this theme of light and lamp and oil. There's the, there's the parable of the ten virgins who fell asleep and didn't get enough oil for their lamp, and so when the, when the groom came, they weren't ready. They weren't ready because they fell asleep and their oil ran out. And so we know... That in, we live in the New Testament. We live after Jesus came. Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. He was the permanent sacrifice. So he was crucified, covers our sins, and now he has sent us the Holy Spirit. And so now God's presence dwells in us. And so that means that essentially we are representatives. We are like the tabernacle. We are the temple that God's spirit resides in. And it's such a miracle, it's such an honor that we now can be bearers of the presence of God. There's many references to this in scripture. Oh, here's what a lamp would look like. Not the fancy lamp that was in the temple, but if you see the wick here laying and the oil would have to be in the bowl to keep the wick burning. Um, but let's go to First Peter. It says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through God to God through Jesus Christ. And so we know that now we are like 
the tabernacle because we get to have God's presence in us because of Jesus Christ. And so I've just been thinking about this since we were meeting in December. It's, it's just been so interesting to me as I've thought about because we are not required to do a certain task to keep this symbolic lamp burning in front of us, I wonder if there can be a lack of intention when it comes to pursuing the presence of God. We have the presence of God, yes, if you've accepted Christ, but, but do we have the same intention, the same effort, the same focus that they might have had then when it was this constant job that they had to do to keep this lamp burning? And so how do we today essentially bring oil for the lamp? How do we do our part? How do we keep in the focus of our brain that God's presence is with us and in us and that we want it to burn brighter? And so this is where we begin to talk about spiritual disciplines. You can call them disciplines, you can call them Christian practices, whatever words you want to call them, but there is a responsibility on us to pursue discipleship in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't earn his favor, we don't earn salvation, we don't earn the right to be sons and daughters. It is a free gift that is given to us, but we are to pursue a lifestyle of discipleship. We are to pursue the presence of God to, to, to um, come alive more fully in us. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 7-8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so we're going to take a few minutes to look at this, that this morning as we've started our fast. What is our version of pressing and squeezing the olives to get the oil? The oil that fuels the presence of God in our life. How do we disrupt our flesh to make space for God? Like we just saying, we want to make room for God. How do we do that? Pursuing spiritual discipline is one of those ways. And so we're going to go through a list here of the spiritual disciplines that we should practice as Christians. And I've, these are categorized in two ways. We're going to look at um, disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. And these categories come from Dallas Willard, so I just want to give him credit there. He has a book of, called The Spirit of the Disciplines that you should pick up. It's very, very good. Um, so these are the way he categorizes them. And this isn't even all the disciplines that we could talk about, but this is a good chunk to get us uh, started in this month of January. So this list might be kind of small because I've tried to not have a ton of things uh, to scan through, but we can always post them later. So I'm not going to go in depth of each one, but I will say them out loud for people listening on the podcast later that cannot read the screen. And it might be kind of small for you in the back. So I'm going to just say them out loud, and we may, we may stop and talk about a few of them. So here are disciplines of engagement, spiritual disciplines that Christians are to pursue. So I put here on this side, on the left side, I tried to put the ones that we probably, churches in general, churches probably talk about the most. And so we have Bible study, worship, prayer, or fixed hour prayer, fellowship, giving, and generosity. Those aren't the same thing, but I just put them together for the sake of space. And so these are the categories that probably come up in churches the most. Definitely the top three. 
churches, we're often talking about the importance of studying the word, worship, and prayer. And those are very important things. But we want to explore today other forms of discipline that we can be pursuing as well. And when I say fixed hour prayer, that means that, that there's, there's a discipline of like setting your alarm, let's say every hour of the day or at certain times of day, and when your alarm goes off, you stop in that moment and you say, okay, God, I'm giving you this moment. And you take one minute to pray or however long. You can even read scripture if you're like, I'm bad with words. I, I'm, I'm bad at praying because I'm not good with words. Then just pick a scripture. Pick a scripture. And at each fixed hour that you've put, chosen, when your alarm goes off, you, you, you pray that scripture. And you meditate for a minute on that scripture. Say, okay, God, and I'm giving you that moment. And then you move on with your day. So that's what fixed hour prayer is. Okay, fellowship. Fellowship is a discipline. It's not just something that we're like, it's a good idea for extroverts. No, it's a discipline. It's a space that God can teach us something through when we pursue the discipline of fellowship with other believers. Let's come to this side. Scripture memorization. Gratitude. Celebration. Not the same exact thing, but I just am sharing the line for the space. Um, celebration is a spiritual discipline to be pursued. And for some of you, you're like, yes, I have checked that box twice. I love to party. But for others, whether it's just your natural countenance, your disposition, uh, your, I don't know. For some people, celebration is more difficult. Or for certain seasons, difficult seasons, celebrating is difficult. But when you make the choice to pursue that discipline, to choose to be grateful, to celebrate um, that's a space that God can teach us something, that God can speak to us as we pursue that discipline. Service, we know that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Confession, confession is a spiritual discipline that we should pursue. James 5.16 says that we are to confess our sins one to another. Listen, without confession, fellowship is superficial. It is, and there's no way around that. It's interesting, I've talked to people, not just in this church, but other churches, and it's like, man, I just wish that I got more out of a small group, it's, it's not deep enough for me, I just want to learn more, I want to do more, I want to, and I agree, I, I would love if every small group that ever existed was just deep and amazing, and, and, but a good question to ask yourself, or to ask someone you might be talking to in the situation, is to ask, are you going each week and confessing your sins? And most of the time, the answer is no. And it's like, well, I don't want to be the first if no one else is doing it. But listen, if there's not confession, fellowship will always be superficial. And fellowship should go through uh, cycles where you're celebrating, where you're, where you're memorizing scripture, where you're studying the Bible, where you're confessing. It's going to have its cycle, but you coming, pursuing the discipline of confession will help your fellowship be deeper. And it's a, it's a discipline we must pursue. Oh, trigger word. Here we go. Last one on this list, submission. That's such a trigger word for our culture. Um, but I, it, it's a Christian discipline, and we need to pursue it. But let me, let me say this off, just off the bat. If there is abuse, if there is something unethical or immoral, that is not submission. Those are not moments we're talking about submission. So if you're at a company and they're doing something unethical, they're doing something illegal, that is not a time you're like, I'm submitting and just going up. No, of course, we stand up for what's right. We, we do what we need to do. We, don't, we do not agree with abuse. Okay, so take those things off the table. Submission is a discipline of the Christian lifestyle. 
And we see it in every area. We see it in marriage. We see it in the church community. We see it in worldly authorities. It's important. And there is something that God can teach us. There is a discipline that we are to learn when we might, let's just take work for example. You might be at a business and you don't agree with the system that's in place. It's not sinful. It's not unethical. You just don't like it. You're like, oh, it's so inefficient. Or there's a better way to do it. Or the manager is so, you know, such a bad manager. He doesn't, okay. But if I'm a Christian, I say, okay, God, if you have not given me the authority to change this, then there is something for me to learn through the discipline of keeping my mouth shut and doing the work you've asked me to do. Even if I do know a better way, even if it's incredibly inefficient, that God has something to teach us through the discipline of submission. And it's such a good thing to pursue when appropriate. All right, we're going to go to the second, the second list. These were the disciplines of engagement. Let's look at the disciplines of abstinence. So the first one is where you, have, you make yourself do something that you don't normally do. This one would be you stop doing something, you withhold something you might normally do. So we have solitude and silence. This one's tough. This one's really tough. Um, it might not be tough for the people that struggle with the fellowship side. <laughs> Maybe you're like, solitude and silence is good for me. Uh, but we should practice this. This means getting alone. Again, these aren't exactly the same two things, but you do them together often. And silence. It's amazing. Oftentimes when I'm alone, I like to listen to music, whether it's worship music or a podcast. That's fine, but that's not practicing silence. If, I, if I'm constantly having to think and, and have my mind filled, the practice of just going outside in my backyard and just sitting in silence. Even just 10 minutes is so challenging to my flesh. But that's a, God wants to teach us something in that space. It's a discipline that we should pursue to be able to sit in silence and just listen. Fasting, we're doing that this month as a church for those that are participating. Living simply, frugality, it's a Christian discipline that we should pursue. And I think some of you have told me that this month as part of your fast, you're doing a spending fast. It means I'm not going to spend extra money. I'm going to pay my bills I need to pay. I'm going to make sure there's groceries in the fridge. But I'm going to make it a point to use whatever I have already. I'm not going to spend this month. I love that. I love that. You're making space for God to teach you something through the discipline of living simply. There was one day when, when we lived... We used to live in Winter Park, like the line of Winter Park and Castleberry. There was one day I was like, I'm going to ride my bike to work. I'm going to just be, live simply today. And so I got on my bike, and I, it took me three hours <laughs> to get from Castleberry to this building right here. And this was before like, they redid Maitland. I was going over I-4 with no sidewalk. Like I was praying in tongues. I was just like, Lord. So I get here, and I'm like sweaty and panting. I'm like, <sighs> and Pastor Peter's like, what did you do? And I'm like, I rode my bike. I'm living simply. And he's like, we well, have one hour before you have to turn around and go back home. It took you so long to get here. And so I called David, that, and he picks me up after work and put my bike in the back of his truck and just like, 
shook his head in silence. Like, I didn't tell him I was going to ride my bike for three hours down Maitland. But, uh, you know, so maybe bikes don't work for living simply, you know, in Orlando with a long commute. But what could you do, maybe? What could you try this week? Okay, if I want to, I don't know. I'm going to live simply this, this month. I want to pursue that discipline of, of not using technology to make life easier. Or, or whatever you may think of. Okay, we're going on the list. Chastity, woo! That means if you're not married, you're not having, doing any sexual activity. And, you know, many who are Christians do practice this until before they're married, but I don't know that we really see it as a discipline to pursue. It's more like, just get to the finish line. Just get there, just find someone, marry them, and then I don't ever have to worry about the discipline of chastity again. And okay, I mean, you got, if you get across the finish line, cool. But listen, the point is to see it as a spiritual discipline. It's a space you are making for God. You're saying, you know what, God, I may desire this thing and everything in, in me may be screaming for this thing, and I'm saying, no. And I'm making space for you. Because here's the other thing that we don't want to overlook with this discipline. If, if our attitude is just get across the finish line, I don't ever have to worry about it again, that's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. In marriage, it doesn't mean you fulfill every desire you ever have every time you want it. There's still boundaries. There, there's still times of extended illness, different things that may come up. And you want to know that you have, are able to pursue that discipline. Okay. Let's keep going. Sacrifice. There are many examples in the Bible where people not just gave some, but gave everything they had. Maybe there's a time where God's asked you to sacrifice something. Um, secrecy. And I want to be clear, this is secrecy with humility and meekness, meaning the good things you do. There's many scriptures that says if you, if you give, if you fast, if you do these great things, do them in secret. And then your Father in heaven will see you and will reward you. Because if you're coming into group every week and just, just sharing the good things you did, well, I did this great job at work and I paid this person's rent. and I, Okay, but you got your rewards. You got the applause. You got the approval. And so if you want to pursue this as a discipline, that means sometimes when you do good things, you say, you know what, I'm not going to tell you one. This is just between me and God. I don't need to get the credit. So, but let me just say before we move on, we have this uh, flipped, don't we, as Christians? We like to keep our confession, we like to keep our sin a secret, and then we like to th take the good things that we've done and we like to broadcast that. And Christianity sends you the Uno reverse card, and it's like, uh uh, flip it. Flip it, reverse. In, in the life of a Christian, the discipline of a Christian, it says when you mess up, when you're tempted, when you sin, share that. Talk about that. Open up about that. But when you do good, keep that quiet. You don't need human approval to feel good about that. Let me be your approval. Know that it's like I'm winking down at you like, I saw that, I saw that, wow. Yes, good job. Okay, so there's... There, There's something to be gained when we pursue spiritual discipline, when we make space for God. This isn't like a name it and claim it, like I fasted so I better have that new job on Monday. No, 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 no. We pursue spiritual discipline as a way to disrupt our flesh, to disrupt our routine so that we make space to hear God more clearly. 
so that it gives space for God to even maybe show us something that we couldn't see when I'm watching TV every night. There's not even a space for me to hear God's voice to talk to me about something. So I really hope that if you, if you haven't joined in on the fast, I encourage you to do it. Try it. Just try it. If you, if you stop after a week, it's okay. You did it. You did a week of fasting where you maybe have previously done, done none. But you can do it. I encourage you to pursue spiritual disciplines. And for some of you that you're like, yes, I do the fast every year. Fasting is a regular part of my spiritual discipline. Then I encourage you to try, pick one other thing to add to your list this time of fasting. So maybe you're fasting, but you're going to add scripture memorization. Okay, I'm going to memorize one scripture a week. I don't, maybe pick something um, to add to it. But listen, let me just talk to the overachievers for a minute. Don't take these lists home and print them and be like, I'm going to do every one. And you're just, you're just checking. Up. That, that you're, that's not the point of this. The point of this is not to prove how spiritual and how, how miserable you can make your body. No, no, no. You're trying to make space. You're trying to make room for God to speak or to teach you something. So if I add every one of these things on my list, I'm not, I'm not making more room. I'm trying to keep this list and check it. Don't do that. Maybe choose one of them. Maybe choose two of them. Um, we have a lifetime to pursue these things, so it's something that we will cycle through. Allow these disciplines to press your flesh. To, it's essentially to squeeze the olive for the oil. That is why we pursue spiritual disciplines. Let's read this quote. This is from, I heard this pastor say this. I thought it was good. Uh, the secret to breakthrough is a lifestyle of preparation, not a momentary effort. Spiritual disciplines help us retrain our automatic responses to everyday life. So we don't just gain all this knowledge and then I hope, like when I go through something hard in life, cool, I hope that in those hard times I'm going to pray and I'm going to know how to buckle down and live simply and I'm going to try. No, we have to practice them. So we pursue spiritual disciplines right now to practice and to be prepared for the times in life when life squeezes you, when life presses you down. Think about a professional athlete. We don't pay a professional athlete to play a game once a week. They, well, I don't pay them anything, but the, the professional athletes get paid to practice all week long. How many times have they made that shot when, when, by the time they do it in a game? They've made that same shot hundreds of times, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. They practice, they practice. Many of them eat a certain diet to help them so that they know that when the pressure is on in the game, I can trust that I will make that shot, I will make that goal because I have done it thousands of times in practice. And that is what spiritual discipline is for us. I choose to pursue times where I do different disciplines because I am training myself that when life comes, when life presses me, I want what comes out to be oil that feeds the presence of God in my life. And I only know that that will happen. I can only hope that that can happen if I have lived a lifestyle of training and pursuing godliness, of choosing to press my flesh in times of discipline so that I know I will revert to that when life is difficult. I'm going to close with this. Consider the life of Jesus when he was on this earth, the, the picture that we get to see through Scripture. He often went, it said, alone to solitary places to pray. 
We see him celebrate. We see him memorize scripture. We see him in fellowship. We see him practicing disciplines while he's here on earth. And so let's think about now the final few hours of his life. And he goes again alone to pray. And we see him in those final moments. And what is the posture that we see him in? What is the state that he is in? He is being pressed. He is in agony of spirit, it says. Because the weight of our sin was pressing him. He was under so much pressure that it says he sweat Sweat came out and it was mixed with blood. And do you know what Gethsemane means? He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is made up of two words. One word means press and the other means oil. Specifically the oil of an olive. And so Jesus was in the oil press and he was praying as he knew what was ahead of him. And what did he say? He said, God, if there is any other way, Is there any other way to save these people than what you have planned? What's that sound like? Boss? (laughs) Boss, I don't really agree with this system. I don't really want to do what you said I have to do. I don't agree with this. But then we see Jesus say, but not my will, but yours. And Jesus, when he was in the olive press and our sin and our guilt was crushing him, he chose submission. He chose the discipline of submission to the Father. And from that crushing, from his body being crushed, he became the oil of our salvation. And so now we get to have the presence of God in us. Let's stand and pray today. Holy Spirit, we want to live a lifestyle of discipline, of godly pursuit. We don't want to wait till life presses us and circumstances squeeze us and people crush us to see and hope that we'll depend on you in those moments. We want to be disciplined people who practice godliness now, who choose in good times and bad to pursue you. I pray, God, during this fast that that we would draw closer to you. We don't do this fast in hopes to get stuff or demand to make you move. Father, we simply want to make room for you to speak to us. We want to make room for you in our lives. And so we disrupt our flesh and we either hold something back or we are going to make ourselves practice something that we don't normally do in order to pursue you, God. We want to bring oil to feed the presence of God in our lives. I pray that you would strengthen us to do it, God. Encourage us that we may be closer to you at the end of this, Holy Spirit, that we will be the light that you are. Christ, you are light. Christ is light. And we see that light from the Old Testament till now the light that never goes out. The oil never runs dry. You will never leave us, God. And so we choose discipline. We choose to pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.